I'm Pat Nimmers, the lead guy around here, and if you brought a copy of Scripture with you, you can find Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. And let me just start by asking you, do you believe all Scripture is profitable? Amen. You do? That's good, because we're in a passage that hardly anybody ever preaches from, so I just want to make sure you believe that, okay? And you'll see why here in just a moment, Genesis chapter 14. I just want to read the first few verses to start it out. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Alisar, Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim, these kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Beersha, king of, so of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, uh, Shemaber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. All these joined forces in the valley of Siddim, that is the Dead Sea or Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Ketoleomer, uh, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. Wasn't that a blessing? Just to read that. <laughs> Trying to mesmerize you with my uh, phonetical abilities here, you know. Actually, I'm reminded of uh, years ago, I'd, I'd, I was getting ready to preach a, a sermon. I'd asked a guy to read the passage for me. He goes, hey, no problem, pastor, as long as there isn't anything hard to pronounce. I said, not a problem. It's a real easy narrative. You can read through it. No problem. Well, he got the right chapter, but chose the wrong book. He ended up reading an excruciatingly painful list of names that were almost unpronounceable. He was so exhausted, humiliated, and exasperated, he just sat down thinking he heard anything in the sermon after that. Anyway, enough of that, because this passage of scripture you're in, in Genesis chapter 14, does have a lot of names and places that are not only hard to pronounce, they are virtually, only archaeology can find them anymore, except for the reference to Damascus and Salem, which we'll talk about more next week. And uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to summarize this passage for you and see what we can extract from this from a uh, all scripture being profitable kind of a perspective here, okay? Genesis chapter 14 is basically what you have is an international war taking place. The first in recorded history. International war and the capture in the war of the nephew of the most famous man, perhaps the most famous man to ever live on earth. Then that man becomes the hero and he goes after his nephew who's been captured and recaptures him, that is, he wins him back, and then runs into a very mysterious character who is spoken of several times after this in the scripture. He becomes the very representation of Jesus Christ. Are you intrigued? First of all, let's get to the rescue itself, because I love a good rescue. In fact, I'm, I'm a sucker for buying a book on rescues. Uh, I mean, real life, not, not made up novels, but real life rescues, like the great raid in World War II, where the, the army rangers went into the, the Bataan Peninsula and, and rescued those POWs from that Japanese camp. That was an amazing story. Uh, or the Ernest Shackleton and, you know, the endurance, you know, the wreckage of that ship in the Antarctica, and he rescued all of his, and just an amazing story. I read another one about a year ago, uh, a book called Operation Thunderbolt, and uh, it was the true story of what happened in the 70s, something a little closer closer to our time, 
when uh, 50 Jewish people were held captive at the airport in Entebbe, Uganda. These were the days of that ruthless cannibalistic leader Idi Amin. And, uh, and so he let all the non-Jews go. He kept the Jews. It was a terrible situation. It was a world crisis. They would have surely met their demise, except that Israel planned this amazing stealth operation where they flew in under the radar, rescued their Jewish compatriots. A couple of them died, but most of them lived. It was an amazing story. I love rescue stories. And this is one of them. Uh, basically, chapter 14 of Genesis is a story of a great rescue and a great rescuer. And the greater rescuer is who we're going to learn about as we go. So just to bring you up to speed here, those of you who are just visiting with us and you haven't been around, we are. this is the title of our series, Faith of Our Fathers. We're looking into the life of Abraham. And uh, so Abraham is called by God in chapter 12. He's given several promises not the least of which is that the land in which he resides is his land and his descendants' land forever. And so Abraham is there. He's residing in the land. If you'll recall, Lot is his uh, nephew, and Lot is the worldly-minded man. If you, again, so there are three kinds of people that Paul talks about in the, in the New Testament. There is the spiritual man, there is the unsaved man, and there's the carnal man, uh, so Abraham represents the spiritual man. Lot represents the carnal or fleshly man, the man who might know God, but he's not living for God, and he's virtually indistinguishable from somebody who doesn't know God. Lot, in the chapter before, has chosen the fertile plains of Sodom as the place where he's going to go. And if you, In fact, we said it, and it's, it's worth repeating, defection takes time. If you read the text, it says Lot looked toward Sodom, pitched his tent near Sodom, and now in chapter 14, he's living in Sodom. He's gone from living on the edge of this very wicked city to actually being a part of this wicked city. And by the way, that's always the way it goes when you're not living for God or you're living on the edge. You're sort of one foot in, one foot out. You're just, you're ready to slip. If you're on the edge, you're going to slip. If you slip, you're going to fall. If you fall, you're going to need to get rescued. And thank God we have a great rescuer. Amen. Lot is going to have one in his uncle. But none of us ever planned this. He surely did not see himself as slipping away from God. And none of us ever do. I can't count the number of people who say to me after they end up shacking up with somebody else, they fall back into the same addiction, whatever it may be, they say, I don't know how I got here. They got here by riding the edge. The edge led to the slip, the slip led to the fall. And so that's where Abraham comes in to rescue his son. By the way, more of, more of a frame here on the context. The world of Abraham's day was a world of city-states or many, many kingdoms, if you please, okay? In fact, we're indebted to Tim Kimberly, who in his 
Tim Kimberly, formerly part of Sailorville Church. His parents are still here. He has a tremendous app called Bible Map. You're looking at it right now, and you're looking at the, the text. If you, if you get this free app, you'll get the text of Scripture every place, and then it's pinned where it's at. So you know exactly where these, all these towns are. You say, yeah, it's just sort of trivial. It's more than trivial. It actually helps you to understand the passage. Look at this. You'll see all on the, on, that's the promised land here on your left, and all those pins are the cluster of kingdoms, many kingdoms, city-states, in the promised land. But if you notice, there's three pins on the, on the, on the, on the right side. They're, on, they're the eastern side. Those three pins represent actually four very powerful kingdoms that were in that area. By the way, if you look at those pins, that's modern-day Turkey, modern-day Iraq, modern-day Iran. Okay, Sworn enemies of the Jews ever since from time immortal. Those three pins represent, they were the more, they actually were governing the promised land. And that cluster of pins that you're looking at, Abraham's even in there, even though he wasn't living in any uh, particular kingdom, okay? So, now, that's your, that's your little frame here, okay, for this passage of Scripture. You got five kings that are in that cluster that you saw over here, okay? Five kings, they are all paying tribute to the four kings from the east in modern-day Iraq, Iran, and Turkey. And they get tired of it. Uh, these little kingdoms would basically consolidate and make war with it, and that's what they did. They consolidated to be able to resist the taxation that was coming from these greater kings uh, in the east. So, so here's, the, here's the deal. The cluster of kings over here that we saw, they're paying taxes to the kings of the east. They're tired of it. They stopped doing it. The kings of the east... Respond, And here it is, beginning in verse 8. It says, The king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, the king of Bela, that is Zor, went out and they joined battle in the valley of Siddim. Four kings against five. You'd think the five would win, but not the case because the four kings are much stronger. Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits. That's asphalt pits literally oozing up from the area of uh, of the Dead Sea, still doing that to this day. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, these are the ones who lived in the area, fled. Some of them fell into them. What a terrible way to go. And the rest fled, the, fled to the hills. I mean, talk about so much for a home field advantage. The kings coming from the east come down. The kings who lived in that cluster in the promised land thought they could fight them off. They didn't. So, what happens is they reclaim the land. Look at verse 11. So the enemy, that's the, the kings from Iran, Iraq, and Turkey area. <clears throat> so again, verse 11. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. So the eastern four kings have put a whipping on the five, they have reclaimed their sovereignty over the land. They put a beat down on them, and, you know, to the, to the victor belongs the, the spoils, right? Verse 12, they also took Lot. Uh-oh. Bad idea. Of course, they didn't know what they were doing. They took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and went their way. So here's poor Lot, 
caught in a bunch of ugly he never saw coming. And as I said before, there's almost, it's almost always the way it is. We play the edge, spiritually speaking, and we end up in places we never dreamed we would end up. I've often said that paths lead to places, because that's what the Bible says. And let me, all you need to know about sin is this. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Every time. It'll take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Lot is doomed. I mean, he is doomed. He has been captured by these eastern kings, and these, this confederation of kings are amongst the most diabolically wicked people to ever dawn the earth. These, these kind of people did horrible, atrocious things to people. You can trace the bloodline of these guys all the way to ISIS. They're still doing horrible things to people. There's no telling what is going to happen to Lot. He needs a rescuer, just like you, just like me. Where's Abraham in all this? Where's Abram? Best we can tell, Abraham's about 20 miles. He's in that cluster you saw, but he's about 20 miles removed, give or take a click. He's removed from the conflict, and he's either ignorant of the conflict or he's not concerned about it. And I think the latter, I, think, I don't think he was concerned about it. If you think about it, God had already promised the land to Abraham. He wasn't concerned about that land or the conflicts going on in the land. Think about it. These nine kingdoms were fighting with each other over land that didn't even belong to them, belonged to somebody else who was off minding his own business. Abraham doesn't seem to be bothered by any of this until it becomes his business. A little geopolitical advice to those who are running countries around here. You don't need to get involved. It's none of your business. And this is where the drama really ramps up. Look at verse 13 where it says, Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew who was living there. So this is where the drama is really ramping up. The writer even sort of dials it up. He, he pictures one lone survivor from this, these nine kingdoms battling back and forth. And, you know, the four had already whipped the five. They were already taking their spoils away, including Lot. I mean, the one has survived. He's battered. He's bloodied. He's bruised. And he sort of crawls the 20 miles and gets to Abraham. And the report is not good. I was reminded of a story I'd read a while back of a 12th century knight that had made it back to the castle late at night. He was bloodied and bruised. His armor was dent, dented, that is, he was listing on his horse as he came into the castle. The king meets him and says, where have you been, O knight? The knight says, sire, I've been pummeling and pillaging and defeating all of your enemies to the west. And the king said, I don't have any enemies to the west. The knight sat up in his horse and he says, Oh, sire, you do now. 
I mean, Abraham could care less until it became his business. He's got enemies, and they're to the east. And hell hath no fury like a ticked-off uncle. I mean, you look at what happens here. When Abraham, verse 14, heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And so he, by the way, don't picture Abraham out there just watching his sheep. He's got 318 Battle-ready men. In fact, the phrase trained men uh, has a picture. The Hebrew picture is a man pulling a sword out of his sheath. This, these are warriors. Abraham, the shepherd, has become Abraham Braveheart. And he's going after them because his, his, his nephew has been captured. He, he takes what really amounts to a battalion. So he's like a lieutenant colonel here. And he is taking this battalion of 318 men. And by the way, 318 men is, is large enough to do battle, small enough to be stealthy, to be able to move around. And he takes them all the way to Dan. And Dan, if you know your geography of the Holy Land, is on the, furthest, the farthest northern point. It's a very heavily wooded area, a place you could get virtually lost. And so Abraham takes these 318 men and it tells us he does it by night. Verse uh, 15, he divided his forces against them by night. He and his servants and defeated them, pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. He goes all the way north to the ancient city of Damascus, which still exists today, of course. When he brought back the possessions, he also brought back his kinsmen Lot and his possessions and the women and the people. So he gets this battalion, he pursues them 120 miles. He surprises them at night, no doubt stealthily using his battalion. Just this group of four powerful kings who had just whipped five kings didn't know what hit him. And it was over before you knew it. Where did this amazing courage for Abram come from? Where did this amazing courage, this energy, this heroic exploit, where did this all come from? This is not the same Abram who had sort of fled the famine into Egypt and slithered out of Egypt when, you know, he lied about his wife. I mean, this is, this is a warrior. This is Joshua and David and Alexander the Great and Napoleon and Patton and Schwarzkopf all rolled into one going after him. He has become fervent and fearless in his faith. He is a type of Jesus. That's what Abram is to you and to me. He's a type of Jesus who left the comforts of his home, thank you very much, amen, came into a hostile environment, to rescue the perishing. That would be you and me. Us, the undeserving, bound in sin, and he took on Satan and sin and death and won through the cross. And I love the way Peter put it in that Pentecostal message when he says, God raised Jesus up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Hallelujah. 
Our rescuer, Jesus Christ, the greater Abraham. That's who Jesus is to us. He is the greater, ultimate rescuer, the greater Abraham. And listen to this as we make our way to the Lord's table this morning. While Abraham was a picture of Jesus, you and me, we're a picture of Lot. Like Lot, every one of us have gone our own way. Isaiah put it that way. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, laid on his own son Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Amen? He is our rescuer. Jesus took, went into this world, this hostile environment, captured in, by sin and Satan, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were helpless. We were hopeless, just as Lot was. We needed somebody to rescue us, just like Lot did, and we got it. Jesus can. Jesus will. Jesus did. He is the greater Abraham, our great rescuer. And aren't you glad? I want, I want to call three things to your attention as we wrap the sermon up here. One, if you're a Christian, just to you who are Christians, some of you aren't Christians, I'll talk to you as well, but if you're a Christian, Christian, you must see yourself as in this world, but not of this world. I know that's a phrase you, you hear in the New Testament. Most of us can, we say that, we say it glibly, but we don't live it. You're to be in this world, but not of this world. Verse 13 is where it's set. Where, remember when that straggler made his way into the camp, the one lone survivor, and he tells Abraham, he's described in verse 13, the one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew. That's the first time the word Hebrew ever occurs in the Bible. Abraham was the first Hebrew. But the word Hebrew, you know what it means? It means one from beyond. That's what it means. In fact, it could even be translated from the other side. Wait a minute. Isn't that who Jesus was? Isn't that who we are? Aren't we from beyond? Aren't we from the other side? Listen, Christians, I'm talking to you that are true Christians. And those of you who are whiners and complainers, and you're always whining and complaining about the world, and gee whiz, they don't treat us very nice, and you Christians are like whipping boys for the world. Stop whining. When you encounter resistance from the world, remember, listen to this, remember, it's not, it's not them, it's you. They're not the problem, you are. You're the outsider. You're the one from the other side, aren't you? Aren't you? Go like this. Yeah, you are. In a few weeks, my wife and I will travel down to Brazil. I'll speak in a conference. We'll hang out with our missionaries there. But we're still waiting for our visas. No visa? 
No travel. The visa permits me to travel. It reminds me, now listen to this, it reminds me that it's not my right to travel. It's my privilege. I'm not, once I get there, I'm reminded because I have to have this visa on me at all times that I'm not a permanent citizen of that country. I am a temporary resident. I'm a temporary visitor. Isn't that what we are? Christians are are heavenly citizens holding earthly visas. That's what we are. That's what we are. You don't have any rights in this world. All yours are hung up later on. Listen, isn't this what Paul said in Philippians 3 when he said, he said, our citizenship is in heaven where we wait for our rescuer, Jesus Christ. I threw the word rescuer in there because I thought it'd be good, but that's who he is. And we are waiting for him to take us and snatch us and take us to our true home. Amen? So, Christian, you must see yourself as in this world, just not of this world. And that'll help you get through this world. Here's the second thing. For those of you whose lot is lot. If you're living in compromise, you're leaning toward capture. Just bank on it. Lot makes his way all the way up to that wicked city of Sodom and rides the edge, right? So mark it down. If you're living in compromise, you're leaning towards capture. Come back. Lot was both in the world and of the world. Lot would be virtually indistinguishable from somebody who didn't know God. And shame on us when we are followers of Jesus, but we don't act like followers of Jesus with our, with our hearts uh, reflecting a life, an attitude, an outlook. We're supposed to be making an impact in this world. Lot wasn't doing that. If it wasn't for what Peter told us, we'd all conclude that Lot wasn't of God. But he was a righteous man. We've already learned that, right? Remember the counsel from last week. Remember, repent, renew. Jesus said it. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent. And do the first works. If it worked before, it'll work again, right? Because some of you have already been captured. The Apostle Paul talked about this. He said, when you go after people who are enslaved, go after people, deal with them gently, call them back to me, because they have been taken captive to do the will of Satan. Have you ever read that in 2 Timothy? That's what Paul said. So if you're living in compromise, you're leaning toward capture. So beware and come back. Come back to a life that's more distinguished from this world, that you can make a bigger dent in this world. And finally, all of us need external help to rescue us from internal captivity. Would you agree with that? You're a captive to your sin. Only Jesus can free you. The greater, the greater Abraham, the greater rescuer. Jesus is the one who came from beyond, right? Who came from the other side, thank you very much, and entered into our realm, entered into enemy territory to rescue us, to rescue the perishing, and that's us. All of us need to be rescued in this way. Do you believe that? 
Remember, I just said it in passing, that this, this pursuit of Abraham, of those four kings who captured his nephew, was 120 miles. That's no small trip with a battalion. But then they had to travel back 120 miles. And I wondered, what did Abraham and Lot talk about on the way back? I don't know what they talked about. I just know it didn't have much of an effect on Lot. Because the next time we see Lot, it'll be several weeks, but the next time we see him, he's right back to what he loves, living in Sodom and needing to be rescued all over again. Is that the kind of life you want to live? Please go like this. No, I don't want to live that life either. And I'm a lot more like Lot than I am Abraham. How about you? That's why we're told to confess our sins. That's why we're told not to cover our sins. Because we can't prosper. We don't go forward. We virtually become indistinguishable in this world. So if your Lot is Lot, confess and call upon the great rescuer who will cleanse you and bring you back. You see, Lot was back in the land, but he was still far from home, just like some of you. And some of you have never been home. You've never trusted Jesus. It's still kind of foreign to you. You're actually very much a part of this world, and you're very comfortable, thank you very much, in it. But you're recognizing it's a place of doom. Think about that. Lot was more comfortable in a place of doom because God would destroy this place, and God's going to destroy this world. Did you know that? He's going he's he's to completely renovate this world someday. Is this where you want to keep all of your eggs in this basket or the other side? You make the call. Better yet, call upon your rescuer. Pray with me. Father, thank you for our time together. In your word and in praise, I do want to pray for everyone in this room that is, uh, has been kind of clueless toward spiritual things and to, that they might know, Lord, that every story in the Bible finds a connection point to Jesus. And Abraham is the greater, the great, or Jesus is the greater Abraham. He's the one who, who came into our hostile environment, died and rose again for us. We want to thank you, Jesus, that you didn't just enter into harm's way. You purposely put yourself in harm's way and dying and rising again. And I pray for you. If you're here, friend, and you don't know Jesus, would you just humble your heart, believe that he died for you and rose again? And to those of you who would acknowledge today that your lot is lot, you're not, you're, you've been riding the edge. Some of you are ready to fall. Some of you have fallen. Some of you are captured by sins of various means, whatever. You're, you're in it. You need a rescuer. Call upon Jesus now. This would be a time to do it. Renew your walk with him to become a more distinguishing feature in this world for his glory. And for those of us who know and love you, Lord, they're a little bit more like Abraham, 
for all of our sins, we, we just say thank you for your rescue of me. And may we enjoy this time of the Lord's table in Jesus' name. Amen.